Hello, and welcome to the Legal Concierge podcast hosted by Warner Lewis. Warner addresses a wide range of questions about legal situations and solutions that may apply to you. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or medical advice of any kind. Warner Lewis is a trusted reliable resource to help you find the answers you need when you're not sure who to turn to if you have a legal question or need an attorney. Chat with Warner Live, every Tuesday on YouTube. And now, here's Warner Lewis. Hello all, welcome back to The Legal Concierge. Great to be back with you for our second uh, episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you with us here today. So today we're going to look a little later in the program, we're going to look at um, preparing your will and your trust, just the basic building blocks of a good, sound estate plan. Uh, Estate planning is defined basically as the steps that you take and the documents that we prepare to ensure that the settlement of your estate, or actually if you become incapacitated, that people you trust can make decisions for you and upon your passing that your estate passes flawlessly, quickly, easily, and inexpensively uh, from you to your heirs and your beneficiaries. So that's estate planning. We're gonna talk a little bit about preparing wills and trusts and helpful hints. So if you are interested at all in the nuts and bolts of how to put your will and trust together, this is for you. And if um, there's someone that you know who you think might benefit from uh, some good inside information on how to prepare your will and trust, this would be a great time to reach out to them and to let them know to tune in now to this podcast because um, I think the information will be very valuable. So at the outset, I'd like to ask you, invite you um, to go ahead and and hit like, share, and subscribe. That will help our channel to get the word out and to spread the, the useful information that we impart every week, okay? That'll be really terrific. And um, so I guess I'll just start. Oh, and then secondly, if you have questions uh, or a particular circumstance that you'd like some uh, some conversation around today, feel free to go to the chat box uh, in the information section below this video um, and just go ahead and type out your question and we'll go ahead and air it uh, and discuss it, okay? So let's jump right in. A little bit of background on me. Actually, we're not going to go to the presentation just yet. We're going to do a little background, Toby. So thank you very much. My producer and I are enjoying learning how to dance together. This is really fun. And uh, as with live television and live broadcasting, um, perfection, it's an elusive standard. We just have fun. That's the most important thing. And the mission is to uh, to help you. And so here's, here's how we do that. A little bit of background on myself. Um, started the business 27 years ago because of the troubles that my family experienced in our attempt to transfer wealth from one generation to another. So after a long two and a half year long process of trying to settle successfully, eventually settling my father's and my grandfather's estates at the same time, dawned on me that was a huge train wreck and that there had to be a million train wrecks just like it coming down the tracks. So that's when I started my business. I teamed up with uh, with people much more knowledgeable than me about estate planning, and I began uh, engaging people, business owners, um, families uh, in the conversation around estate planning. And eventually, you know, 27 years later, become pretty familiar with the topic. You might you might call me a subject matter expert. So at this ripe old age of 64, uh, I'm going to modern techniques of podcasting to share some of this information uh, with as many people as I can. That's always been 
my goal is to help as many people as possible avoid the kinds of problems that my family went to went through. So that's the life planning side of my of my business, of my endeavors. Life planning incorporated is an Arizona certified legal document preparer, which means that we're authorized and certified, licensed by the Arizona Supreme Court under the same rules that govern attorneys' practice of law. So I'm held to the same ethical and professional standards as a lawyer. And um, you know, there are two differences, though, in what I do and with what an attorney does. First of all, I can't give legal advice because only lawyers can give legal advice. So I never would give you an opinion like, oh, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. That would be a legal opinion. I'm not entitled to one, but I am authorized to give legal information with impunity. So instead of saying you should do this, you shouldn't do that, I can say, if you do this, this is the result. If you take this approach, this is what you could expect, but other people want to wind up over here. So here's the approach they take. And so I help in preparing these wills and trusts and LLCs and corporations and more complex asset protection planning structures. I give my clients enough legal information to make fully informed decisions for themselves. So actually it's a competitive advantage because I don't like many lawyers just ask 16 questions and do the calculus in my head and prepare the legal documents and present them for signing and wish the clients a good life. Those people come back to me years later saying, tell me what we've got here. We have no idea what, what is it we've got here. And I help to, I read. So I love reviewing other people's work, not to find fault with it, but to learn uh, and to see how different practitioners approach this process of helping people get their legal affairs in order. Uh, we've streamlined this process, helped thousands and thousands of clients across the country get this done. So it's a, it's a really easy process for my clients. Most, probably 90 plus percent of my clients, when I ask them, so how was this for you? How was the process? 90% of the time I hear from them that it was easier than they expected. So that's a, that's a win. You know, most people don't plan and we'll look at it in a minute when we go through this presentation. Most people don't plan because they perceive it to be this awful process and uh, they try to avoid it because they just don't know what to expect. We demystify that whole process. We streamline it, make it easy for everyone. And uh, it also is, you know, can, can be done efficiently. You know, so many times I hear clients who get stuck in their communication with the lawyer because they don't quite understand their options. In those circumstances, this process can take not just months, but years before it's accomplished. And we can typically accomplish this stuff in a couple of weeks, okay? So that's a little bit about Life Planning Inc. That's the document preparation company. Now we do a great job preparing wills and trusts. So we're gonna talk about that and you can look at us as a, a neutral trusted third party for unbiased information. We don't, you know, we're not attached to how you uh, set your estate up. We're not in judgment if you have a child who's out of favor or, you know, life is complicated. And estate planning, if it's done properly, can really truly reflect perfectly what your feelings are and what your wishes are so that you can have some peace of mind around knowing that your wishes will be accomplished the way you want them to. Okay, so that's life planning. That's my document preparation business. The other business, um, the namesake of this podcast is the legal concierge. And I'm really excited about this because, and I'd like to engage you in this conversation as well. My purpose as the legal concierge is to be a sounding board, to provide an ear to individuals, 
families, business owners who have questions about the law. Now, you may have you may have questions around your particular circumstance, whether it's divorce or bankruptcy or any number of a hundred other areas of the law. I can engage you in conversation, understand your circumstances, present some potential courses of action and options that are available to you. And then if it makes sense, I can introduce you to an attorney who is competent, supremely confident, competent and confident in that particular area of the law. So rather than most consumers just say, gosh, you know, I need an, I need an attorney, but of 1.5 million attorneys in the country, for example, with estate planning, only 57,000 out of 1.5 million or about 3% of attorneys in this country know anything about estate planning. So every area of the law, and there are hundreds of them, um, require some, some expertise, even though lawyers don't use the term expert, but it takes a while to really become competent in a particular area of the law. The legal concierge can help match you and your particular unique legal needs and concerns with the right practitioner at, uh, at a fixed price whenever it's possible. So here's one big um, stumbling block for most people when they go to a lawyer for help. The question always comes down to how much is it going to cost me? And the answer is invariably, well, it depends. Well, depends on what? How many hours you put in, how much you need to bill me this month in order to pay rent, pay for the Porsche. No disrespect to attorneys, but the pricing thing um, with it depends is really cloudy and murky. Uh, I've been doing fixed fee planning forever, for 27 years. Uh, this is the cost and this is the deliverable, period, end of story. And if it takes a little longer and we have to invest more time, that's fine. The fee doesn't change. Or if you walk into my office and you're worth $50 million instead of $500,000, I'm not going to charge you more, okay? Uh, unlike other practitioners in the legal arena who kind of size you up on the way in and see just how much pain you can endure in terms of the fee. So one of the big advantages in working with the legal concierge is that not only are we a great buffer between you as an individual and the lawyer who's going to um, solve your problem, um, but we also make it more cost effective for you by negotiating on your behalf with the attorney in terms of that fixed fee. Okay. So that's a big, uh, a big advantage of working with the legal concierge, one of many. And uh, so I'm excited to introduce that concept to you here today. Now, what areas of the law uh, can I assist with as the legal concierge? And I'm going to dip my head here for just a second and read off of a list. So if you're a business owner, for example, um, and if you had a slip and fall accident on your premises, uh, which incurred some liability for you and you need some help, you need some representation, uh, or if there's a discrimination claim against you as a business owner, either with an employee or a customer, a client. You'd be surprised how many clients, how many times a client will walk in and at the end of a transaction feel like they've been discriminated against. That can be a problem. Automobile accidents. Let's say you have drivers out there driving your truck or delivery vans and one of them gets into an accident. That's a big deal. Harassment claims against you, either from employees or from clients. Uh, employee injuries. Um, breach of contract. So if uh, you're in a contract with someone and they breach the contract, how do you get satisfaction? You know, how do you make that work for you in the end? Intellectual property rights, uh, trademarks, patents, 
um, employee terminations. You've got to be really careful if you've got employees as to how you terminate them, right? There's a whole series of steps that you can go through in order to protect yourself from claims at the end that an employee might, might uh, make against you. Uh, shareholders agreements. If you own a company and you have other owners with you, there's a whole uh, a series of circumstances that can arise between business owners who are partners in the same business. In fact, uh, in one of these coming weeks, we're going to do a special program on the new Arizona LLC law. Okay. So the new LLC law, watch out for that one, because if you own an LLC with more than one owner, you're going to need to hear this one. Maybe I'll do that next week. Um, you know, overtime disputes with employees, of course, then there's estate planning, wills and trusts, business planning, LLCs, corporations, buy-sell agreements, that sort of thing, uh, employment contracts, divorce, uh, transfers of property, or the buying and selling of closely held businesses or closely held real estate transactions. That's stuff that we do as well. Um, guardianships, immigration. I mean, this is just scratching the surface on the broad array of legal circumstances that can come up in our lives. Hey. Think about it. From the moment we're born, there's a legal contract. It's called your birth certificate, and it ends with a death certificate. These are really important legal documents. These are your uh, legal contracts with the state, you know, to identify, to establish your identity. And through your whole life, you're entering into contracts, and you may not really even be aware of it. And usually during one's lifetime, one of those contracts ends up a little sideways. And so that's where the legal concierge can help to hear you out, uh, discuss options, and to determine if it's appropriate to uh, refer you to an attorney who we know we're really confident can help to solve your problem. Okay. So that's a little bit of background about me, why I started the business, why I'm sitting here in front of you today talking about the law. Um, one other thing I want to talk with you a little bit about the law before we go into the presentation. The legal profession, the legal industry in this country, is going through a seismic change. Ask any lawyer and they'll shake their heads and go, oh my gosh, I can't even recognize the legal industry today from what it was even five years ago. Uh, especially with non-lawyers like myself who are authorized by the Supreme Courts and the legislatures of their states to provide the same kinds of legal services that attorneys have had a monopoly on for almost a hundred years, maybe more than a hundred years. So, and the reason is, um, for example, in California, 95% of divorces are pro se. People are doing the divorce themselves without an attorney. So now you have John and Sue or, you know, whomever the, the couple is in front of a judge have no idea what the legal procedure is, the court procedures, how to do it properly. And the judge ends up having to hold their hand uh, through this whole process. It's a waste of time of the judge. So the backlog you know, of divorce cases tends to stack up. And these courts are crying out for legal document assistance and, and ambassadors who are specifically trained and licensed to walk a, a consumer through everyday processes like divorce, like uh, landlord-tenant disputes, those kinds of things. So lawyers, many of them, are questioning why they ever went to law school when now more and more states are, are being more open and more creative and letting non-lawyers like myself get involved with consumers and help deliver these, these legal solutions many times better 
faster and more cost effectively. So uh, this whole legal industry industry is turning way upside down. Um, and so let me just leave it at that. Okay. So uh, welcome to the brand new, brave new world of legal services. And uh, I'd like to think that we're at the cutting edge of this after 27 years of preparing legal documents for people and not being lawyers and not having a lawyer involved. So anyway, I would like very much, uh, I don't see any questions. So let me just remind you to like, share and subscribe to our channel. Uh, let friends and family know who you think might be interested in getting more information on how to prepare their will and trust. Uh, take a minute right now and go ahead and text them and send them the link and ask them to join us uh, either on YouTube or on Facebook uh, for the legal concierge. It's going to be very interesting. So please like, share and subscribe. I appreciate it. Okay, let's go to this uh, short presentation uh, about preparing your will and trust. Okay, what's the first, what's what's on, uh, on the first slide? Okay, why do people do this kind of planning? Well, to provide for the people that they love, right? Uh, if you are in your 50s, you may well have children that you want to plan for and prepare for. And if you're in your 50s or 60s, you may well have parents who are aging in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? And we have to be aware of what they're doing for their planning, because when they become incapacitated or they pass, you're going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to have to take care of my parents' issues as well as prepare for and plan for my passing and capacity for my children's benefits. It's kind of what we call the sandwich generation. Many of us are the meat in between the two pieces of bread, our mom and dads and our children. So planning can be a, a multi-generational thing, uh, not uncommon at all. So we do this kind of plan to provide for loved ones to eliminate the costs and delays of probate. Uh, anyone, Toby, let's go full screen. Anyone ever had any experience with probate? So um, uh, uh, probate, let's go the other way. Probate, thank you. Um, probate is required, as we'll see in just a moment, if you die owning assets in your own name. So you wanna think about this. Do you own everything in your own name? Currently, your bank accounts, your brokerage accounts, your house, uh, or do you have pay on death beneficiary designations, or do you have a trust? These are things that you want to think about and know that the way you hold title, the way you own each of these assets will determine whether it goes smoothly and inexpensively or at no cost to your children and your heirs and your beneficiaries, or whether it will acquire a lengthy, expensive probate process in order to get things out of your name upon your death and over into the names of your beneficiaries. So what's the next point on the slide, Toby? If we can split those screens, that'd be great. Toby? Are you there, Toby? There we go. Thank you. So we do this kind of planning to enhance our security and our privacy to protect assets for future generations and to achieve peace of mind around our temporal earthly affairs. How many of you, let's go full screen again. How many of you get behind the wheel of your car to go across town, go to work, run an errand, or get on a bus or a train or a plane and think in the back of your mind, you get this feeling, this uneasy feeling that gnaws at your, at your gut saying, oh gee, you know, I still haven't gotten my will in place and I still don't have these important legal documents in place. Well, now would be a good time to think about it and know that you can take action and let that sense of worry pass and replace it with some real peace of mind. That's a, a great thing. So we do this kind of planning to achieve peace of mind so we can sleep well at night 
and don't have to worry every time we get behind the wheel of our car. What's next, Toby? Why don't more people plan? Why haven't you planned? Perhaps it's because we as human beings, we're mortals, right? But we're sort of in denial about our morbidity and our mortality, right? We don't think day to day, hey, you know, today could be my last day. And thank goodness we don't, right? We want to live every day like, well, we want to plan as if we're going to live for 50 years. But I don't know about you, me, after surviving two heart attacks, I live every day like it could be my last. You know, live like you're dying. There's a popular song out there that says live, live like you're dying. That's maybe some pretty good advice. Um, but we want to plan as well. And most of us don't plan because we perceive estate planning, dealing with death and disability as morbid. You know, it's dark. It's a dark subject. It's morbid. Um, personally invasive. In other words, you have to sit down with a stranger and spill the beans about how you feel about your children, your money, uh, how you want it to go. You know, you're afraid of being judged or, uh, you know, a lot of us like to hold our personal finances and our feelings about money and our children closer to the vest. But with estate planning, you got to find somebody who's got a who's got an open ear, an open heart, who's not going to judge you, but who's going to understand your circumstance and help you arrive at a solution in terms of a document that reflects your exact wishes. OK, this is the trick. Um, it's time consuming. It can be, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, you know, a lot of times this process can drag on for months, even years I've seen where this process is not completed. It's perceived to be complicated. And actually it is. Estate planning is really complicated. You look at our documents and there's, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of paragraphs that deal with very complex subjects like taxes and protecting your assets and privacy and access to your digital assets and communications. All this stuff, it's pretty complicated but it can be boiled down in fairly simple terms. So that's what we do. We have a very sophisticated and complex solution, but the methodology and the explanation of these complex solutions is really streamlined and simplified so that we're never talking over anybody's heads. Um, I present these documents on a regular basis and explain them and clients get it, you know, and they don't fall asleep when they're hearing all of this, you know, um, devolved, not dumbed down, but devolved technical information. Okay. There's a way to do it. And a lot of people think it's expensive. Uh, and it can be, uh, in this town in Phoenix, you go to a competent estate planner, you're probably looking at four to $5,000 and up, uh, for the kinds of planning that we charge 2,500 to 3,000 for. So there is a cost advantage to working with us. Uh, and I would hold our work up to any practitioners, it's really good quality stuff. So anyway, so more people don't do this kind of planning generally because of a lack of understanding and knowledge around what their uh, what their options are. Toby, let's switch the slide. Thank you. So here are some problems with planning. First of all, legal expertise in this area of tax and estate planning, asset protection planning is very hard to find. As I mentioned, 54,000 attorneys out of 1.5 million in the United States, 3% even claim any competence in the area of wills and trusts. Uh, but many of those practitioners are generalists. They do some wills, some trusts, some business, some transactional, some this, some that. But really to become competent in this requires one to be involved in it every day and to be focused virtually exclusively on estate planning. You know, going to conferences, reading materials, reading the publications and that sort of thing that help us to expand our understanding, especially now that so many 
things in the tax law, for example, have changed. For example, you may have heard of the uh, potential for one of these laws coming up um, soon before the end of the year, including doing away with the step up in cost basis, which will be a disaster for people who own property trying to get it to the next generation. And I'm gonna do a, a, a full program soon on the risks and the unknown risks of this law that will likely be changing before the end of the year, uh, where, for example, if you buy a property for, for $100,000 and it's worth $500,000 when you die, used to be under current law that when your children inherit it through a will or a trust upon your death, they get a step up in cost basis from your cost basis of $100 up to the current value of the property at the time of your death. So if they sold the property at the time of your death or within six months of the time of your death, uh, there's no capital gains tax to pay. But this new law that they're talking about is they're doing away with that step up. So your children inherit your half million dollar property. They also inherit your $100,000 uh, cost basis, which means that, and they're even saying that you don't even have to sell the property and realize the gain of $400,000 and owe the tax. They're saying that you may well owe the tax even without selling the property. This would be such a disaster, but it's potentially coming down the line and soon. So I'm going to talk about it here in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Keep, a, keep an eye out for that. So if you can find legal expertise in this area of tax and estate planning, you'll find it's very expensive, hard to find and expensive, as I mentioned. Somewhere between three, now it's actually more like four and 5,000 and up, and it can take months to complete. Uh, failures in the estate planning arena are common and the failures arise from poorly drafted documents. I reviewed a document today for a client that was signed this year by their parent, but that used technology that I've never seen. And I've been in the business since 1994. Okay. I think this language came from the 1980s and the original document was typewritten. This was like a repurposed document that was 30 years old that, that didn't address any of the common uh, modern issues that we face and address in a properly drafted trust. I was shocked. So anyway, um, oh, uh, uh, we have a question. Susie Orman pushes a will and trust kit uh, review. Um, so first of all, we do the review at no charge. So any legal document that you have that's pertaining to estate planning or business planning, asset protection planning, happy to review for you and let you know what you got at no cost. But let me address Susie Orman's package, okay, her $249 will and trust package. I think that most financial advisors and most lawyers would shake their head and say, run. It's, it's designed for the lowest common denominator. I don't know about you, but I'm not lowest common denominator material, right? I have unique circumstances that need to be addressed on a custom, unique circumstances basis. Uh, it's, you know, Susie's thing is one size fits all. And I think that if you looked at the agreement, right, the software agreement, uh, just like LegalZoom, by the way, LegalZoom, Susie Orman, all these other prepackaged one-size-fits-all legal solutions have disclaimers in their language that you probably don't read because there's pages and pages of it that say, the language says that they are not guaranteeing the language, that, that they're not guaranteeing that it's suitable for any particular purpose. And they go on to say that you use it at your own risk. Wow. Okay. So I want to spend $250 on that software program and let my family sort it out when I'm gone. 
Yeah, I don't think so. So, so thank you very much for that question. There's another question. Um, do you need a will if you have a trust? So yes, uh, you may not need the will, but it's really important to have the will drafted in conjunction with the trust where they both refer back and forth to each other because oftentimes, hopefully not all, all the time, I mean, we do our best to work with clients once they've signed their documents, the most important part of the process is implementing the plan or funding the trust. Funding your trust is defined as going to the bank, showing them the trust certification and having the bank change ownership from you as an individual to you as trustee of your trust. Or if you're married to both of you as husband and wife, from you as husband and wife to you as trustees of your trust. Because the trust can only avoid probate on assets that it controls by title, that it owns. But if you die owning a piece of property in your own name, it will probably have to go through probate in order to get it out of your name as a deceased person into the name of your personal representative in court and then from the name of your personal rep or your executor, the executor of your will, into the names of the beneficiaries. In Arizona, it takes 15 months on average to complete the probate process and is of indeterminate expense. In other words, in Arizona, well, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that here in just a moment, but probate is to be avoided at all costs. That's why we create the trust. But in case something is left out, we want a will called a pour over will that lets the executor of the will, same person as is serving as trustee, by the way, usually, allows the executor of the will to pour over into the trust any forgotten assets. So yes, it's important to have that safety net, among others, in the form of a will that just in case something's left out, it can get over into the trust. So Dave Ramsey offers help for wills and trusts. Thoughts on this? You know, um, I respect Dave Ramsey. I'm not a follower of his. I've listened to his program at times. Um, you know, I've been in the financial, I've been a licensed financial services professional, a licensed insurance professional in the past. I'm not anymore. But oftentimes I hear pundits, you know, who have big, powerful platforms, right, and touch a lot of people give inaccurate information. So I'm just saying, like, Dave, Dave Ramsey might say, uh, yeah, you only need a will. It's true. You, you can get by with just a will. In fact, you can get by with no documents in place if you do it properly. In other words, if you put a beneficiary designation on everything you own, yeah, it could work, but you can avoid probate, but it causes other unintended consequences on the back end. So for example, if I name my three children, if I had three children um, as pay on death beneficiaries through my beneficiary deed, great. They own it, but it, the deed does not say whether they own it as joint tenants with rights of survivorship, as tenants in common, as tenants in the entirety, and, and how they take title to it, um, either as their sole and separate property if they're married. A lot of unintended consequences. You have to be really careful about using beneficiary designations uh, because it could blow up in the end, actually. The trust could well be um, a better solution depending on the circumstance, but there are times when just a will and powers of attorney with beneficiary designations for very simple estates works just fine. And if that's the case, we'll let you know. We recommend it. Um, I probably recommended a will and power of attorney package three times this last month uh, rather than a full trust because that's what's best for the client. So trust and will versus legal zoom. We touched on that just a moment again. Um, should you invest the time and money with legal zoom? Well, 
Um, you, you can, if you want, again, uh, I, I have had occasion, many occasions, uh, over the last several years of redrafting, of amending and restating wills, trusts, powers of attorney, LLCs and corporations prepared by LegalZoom because they are thin. They are, again, lowest common denominator and, you know, LegalZoom, uh, there's my email address. You can sue me for, no, please don't. I'm just expressing my opinion, okay? Um, people are free to use your service and uh, I know you're going public and all of this and I'm happy for you. Um, but it's tough to do a cookie cutter solution for most people. Most people have unique circumstances regarding children, money, goals, uh, motivations, and that sort of thing. So great question. Uh, anything unique about Arizona when it comes to wills or trusts? Thank you for these great questions, everyone. I really appreciate it. So each state, uh, Arizona included, um, is at one stage or another of modifying the uniform trust code. Arizona's version of the Uniform Trust Code, which was um, drafted by the American Bar Association on a, on a national level, made that available to bar associations across the country to modify and to make their own with changes. So Arizona Trust Code um, very much controls the distribution and administration of trusts in the state of Arizona. So. Uh, it's very important that your trust documents and your LLC documents comply with the laws in effect at the time that the documents are prepared. What's interesting, at least to me because I'm a geek, but uh, what's interesting is that if a trust is deemed to have been properly constructed in this state, in Arizona, at this time, it will be deemed to have been properly constructed anywhere, anytime. So a properly constructed trust here in Arizona can be portable. You can take it with you to any any state in the country uh, as long as it complies with Arizona trust code uh, at the time of its creation. Um, so portability is important. But the trust, although the trust is portable, you'll find that the powers of attorney, especially the medical powers of attorney, are very different state to state. So if you move from Arizona to another state, you probably want to update some of those documents as well. Uh, and we're an ideal company to work with because we have state-specific documents for each and every one of the 50 states. So if you're moving uh, to Florida, Colorado, it doesn't matter. We can prepare state-specific documents for each of those states. So, so thanks again for your questions. Let's pop back to the, to the presentation just for a moment. So let's talk about transferring your estate. How does, what are the different ways and options that are available to you to transfer your estate upon your death? The most popular plan is no plan at all. 60% uh, roughly of the American population doesn't have any documentation in place. So those estates will be settled according to the laws of intestacy in the state in which one dies. And the laws of intestacy are basically the laws that say, hey, if you don't have a will when you die, here's what happens. Let me give you an example of an estate being uh, divvied up uh, under the laws of intestacy, probably not the way you'd want it to go. So let's say um, I've been married twice and I pass away. And because I've had a second marriage, but no documents in place, my wife, my surviving wife, gets half of the estate. The other half goes to my children. But if I had a will, it could go all to her. But the default is if you don't have a will and you've been married more than once, your kids get half and your spouse, your second, third, fourth, fifth spouse gets the other half. So uh, one reason why it might be really important if you've been married more than once to do this kind of planning, because you wouldn't want 
to be the spouse who had only half of the estate left right upon your death. So that's the most uh, uh, popular plan. And just keep in mind that the state's plan may not reflect your wishes, like I just described. The next most popular solution is to have a will. Uh, but a will is subject to approval by the probate court. So a judge, a will is nothing more than a note of your wishes to the judge in probate court saying, hey, if it's okay with you, here's how I want my stuff to go. We're gonna look at probate here um, and a will in just a moment. Uh, beneficiary designations, as I've mentioned a few times before in this podcast, can avoid probate and will avoid probate. So your IRAs are always distributed by beneficiary designation. Um, life insurance is always distributed by beneficiary designation. You can set up your bank account so they are distributed by beneficiary designation upon your death as well. And that's the POD or TOD, that's the pay on death or transfer on death designation that you can make to most accounts. And then joint tenancy, that's another really prop, uh, popular solution. So let's say mom, a surviving widow, has three daughters. One lives here, one lives out east, and one lives here in the west or uh, on the west coast. And mom names the, the local daughter as the joint tenant on her house, on her bank accounts, on everything. So if something happens, it avoids probate. Well, it sure does avoid probate because that, that daughter who's named as the, as the joint tenant with rights to survivorship gets it all. In fact, she owns it 100% lock, stock, and barrel. Doesn't matter what your will says, the beneficiary designation always rules. So now the daughter who's local upon mom's death has to decide whether her relationships with her siblings is worth all the money she'd have to give up because she's under technically, she's under no obligation to share that money. But if she inherits 300,000, does she wanna give 200,000 of it away, one to each other's sister? Uh, that's a tough thing. And money often has, sometimes has, a very tough effect on people because it's money, it's greed. And sometimes money is uh, greener than water is thick. Oh, I know I've really mixed my metaphors there, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so that's one circumstance where joint tenancy can backfire on you. Another way that joint tenancy can backfire on you is if mom and daughter who are on the same accounts and on the same house daughter gets into a car accident, gets sued, they do a search for all of her assets and they find her as a joint tenant with mom. Now mom and her assets jointly owned with her daughter are subject to the lawsuit against the daughter. Should I say more about joint tenancy? Probably not. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Joint tenancy can backfire on us. Here's one definition of a will. A will is a one-way ticket to probate court. It's a lawsuit that you file against yourself using your own money for the benefit of your creditors or for the people who claim that you owe them money. Because probate is a public process, right? Anyone can go to the courthouse, see what you own, see what you owe, and make a claim against your estate. That's what probate is for, is to hear claims against your estate. So let's say I show up, and I never would, of course, but somebody shows up at your, at your probate proceeding, files a claim, says, oh yeah, so-and-so promised me 10 grand 20 years ago when I helped them out of a jam. And now the judge has to determine if that's a valid claim or not. And it can gum up the whole works, cause huge delays, expenses in the form of you know, attorneys trying to defend against this claim, that sort of thing. So 
Um, yeah, just a will alone, a lawsuit that you file against yourself. That's not a very smart thing. What's next, Toby? And we can keep it in this view. This is really terrific. Okay, so a little bit about probate. Hopefully everyone can see this. Let's go ahead and take the slide full view just, just to get a, a quick understanding about probate. So probate is designed for decedent property owners. In other words, people who die owning property in their own name. And because they're absent, they're dead. They can no longer sign the documents necessary to gift, sell, or convey ownership to someone else, right? So they take the title and ownership of the asset, the house, the bank account, and everything else with them to the grave. And they can no longer sign, obviously. So this public, uh, costly, time-consuming proce uh, process is required in order to get those assets out of a deceased person's name and into the name again of the, of the personal representative, and then from the personal rep or the executor of the estate into the names of the beneficiaries. Ancillary probate is what happens when you own property in more than one state, and you have to launch a probate proceeding in every state in which you own property. That's not fun. It's also very expensive. Living probate. This is the greatest fear of our graying population. And that is if you become incapacitated without the powers of attorney appointing the people that you trust to make those decisions for you, healthcare and financial decisions for you, if you can't make them because of your incapacity. If you don't have those, then your family gets to petition the court and someone in your family gets to petition the court to be appointed as your agent under a financial or a medical power of attorney um, for the, the privilege and the power to make decisions for you in the event that you can't make it, make those decisions for yourself. Um, but this is, if you don't have family members who are willing to step up, this is the big fear. This is where the courts can appoint a stranger, a fiduciary, hand them the pen and the checkbook and let them take care of your financial needs and make your healthcare decisions. Um, this can be a problem. In fact, uh, several years ago in the state of Arizona, um, I forget her name, God bless her heart, but she died, she became incapacitated with a trust, but no powers of attorney. She had a million four in her estate uh, and her brother and sister kept uh, applying to the court to become appointed as her agents under the powers, under a power of attorney. And the courts refused. In fact, the courts gave the checkbook to a fiduciary and um, the legal representation of the fiduciary and of the incapacitated person to a law firm. And together the fiduciary, the law firm, uh, and the law firm spent down Mary, I'm forgetting her last name, spent down Mary's estate to zero. And the courts allowed that to happen. And uh, uh, Roberts, uh, forgetting her first name, um, uh, Republic, Lori Roberts, the Republic reporter, uh, wrote extensively on this travesty. And in the end, it caused such a stir that a three judge uh, panel was convened to look at the activities of uh, the fiduciary, the law firm, and the judge that handled this. And although this three-judge panel found their um, actions uh, reprehensible, uh, they took no action against the lawyer, the judge, or the fiduciary. So anyway, this, this whole idea of living probate, you do not want to be caught dead or incapacitated without the right documents in place, believe me. But the good news is that with proper planning, all of these, these problems can be solved, okay? That's the good news. Okay, let's see what's next. 
This is, let's show this full screen because this is, here's the money shot. This is about two thirds of the probate process. I couldn't fit the whole, the full extent of the probate process on one slide. So you can tell if you could read the fine print, there is a ton of responsibility placed on the executor of the will. Um, and this is why the trust makes it so easy. Remember, probate is a public process. It takes 15 months on average. Anyone can come and take a look at uh, what you own and what you owe and can pester the court and make a claim uh, to um, try to get some of that money, right? Whether it's rightful or not, the judge has to determine if it's a rightful claim or not. Okay, what's the next slide? Wills versus trust. So the last will and trust, I'm sorry, the last will and testament, wills require probate, expensive, time-consuming to settle, can be avoided using pay-on-death beneficiary designations and using financial and healthcare powers of attorney. Trusts avoid probate to the extent that they're funded, that assets are put into the name of the trust, and a properly drafted trust will protect assets for future generations. Another interesting point, if you're a geek like me, is that your irrevocable trust during your lifetime, which you can change and amend and revoke, blow up, take everything out of the trust in your own name, not that you would, but you can, you have that much control over assets in your trust. Um, a revocable trust, though, by that token, by that same token where you can put stuff in, take it out, put it in, take it out, you as an individual and you as trustee of your trust are considered to be one and the same person under the law. So your revocable living trust while you're alive will provide zero, zero asset protection. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, if I put in trust, it protects my assets. Not at all. All right. So keep that in mind. But when you die, your revocable trust becomes irrevocable. And irrevocable trusts do a great job of protecting assets. Okay. So most trusts are designed to, upon your death, to distribute your estate outright and free of trust into the names of your beneficiaries, your individual children or whomever you appoint as your beneficiaries. The problem is that if those assets are in your children's names and not held in a protective trust for their benefit, if they receive and inherit your estate in their name, it can be taken from them by their creditors, their judgments, lawsuits, and divorces. So the vast majority of trusts will distribute outright and free of trust making their inheritance, your children's inheritance, vulnerable to divorces and claims, lawsuits, that sort of thing. But a properly drafted trust um, can avoid that. Let's go ahead and flip the slide and see what's next. <sighs> so let's pull this up full screen. Or like that's perfect, thank you. So what if you wanted to engage with someone, uh, an attorney of your choice or with us, uh, to do this kind of life planning? You want to begin with the end in mind. So you want to think about your children. Do they get along? How about their spouses? Are there conflicts built into your family situation? What about your grandchildren? Are there special needs of any kind? Um, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, what kinds of assets do you own? Is it a house and bank accounts and a brokerage? That's one thing. If it's a closely held business, that's another. And you have another set of circumstances that you need to address with a closely held business or hard to value assets as well. Um, and where are your assets located? You may have homes in multiple states. And as we mentioned, uh, a trust will make it much easier to settle your estate with property in multiple states. But if you don't have a trust, you have to start a probate in every state in which you own property. Um, 
At what ages do you want your children to inherit or to get control over their share? A lot of times you see 18 or even 21 as the age prescribed in a will or a trust to give control to a child of their share of their inheritance, right? Um, but if a child inherits too early, they may have to be, they may be faced with a very tough decision. Gee, do I invest my inheritance in a college education or a red Ferrari? You know, this is the tug and 21 may be a little too early, too young in today's day and time because it often takes five or six years to get through college, not just four or three. So the earliest age we are generally seeing now is to give a child, a beneficiary, control over their estate at the age of 25, or half at 25, they receive the other half at 30, or a third at 25, half of the balance at 30, and then the full balance at 35. You can decide, right, how you want your children and your beneficiaries to receive their inheritance and the timing of that, what ages they have to attain. How will your assets pass, either outright and free of trust into the name of the beneficiary or in further protective trust? Uh, and if they inherit in a, in a protective trust, they can be the trustee of their protective trust, enjoy the, the assets, spend it, invest it, do whatever they want with it. But if trouble comes up, a protective trust will allow your beneficiary, your child, to step aside as trustee of their irrevocable protective trust and appoint a trust protector, a special independent trustee, usually a high powered lawyer who will defend your child and their inheritance from claims and quite successfully usually because irrevocable trusts are like fortresses. They're very hard to break open if they're set up properly. And then once trouble is passed, the special independent trustee, the trust protector, hands the keys back to your children and wishes them a nice life. And then you wanna ask, what's your why? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, for what purpose do you want your wealth to go and in support of what motivates you? Charitable uh, concerns or desires, education for your children. Um, in, in our trusts, there's a guideline to the trustee that says we as parents or me as a parent desire that my children um, grow up educated and responsible, uh, productive uh, members of society. And that this inheritance is designed for that purpose, not so that they can just hang out on the couch eating bonbons and waste the rest of their life because they've got so much money. And that happens more than you can, uh, can imagine. We've all heard of trust funders and things like that. No offense to them, but many of the trust funders I know and grew up with uh, never worked a day in their life. So we get to figure that out too. What's our next slide, Toby? Oh, how do we get this accomplished? So here's the process. First, you would contact us and schedule a no cost, no obligation initial consultation. Uh, we'll review your existing documents, answer all of your questions, provide you with enough legal information to help you make fully informed decisions about your circumstances. Then if you choose to move forward and get, or you can use that information that we provide uh, without cost or obligation any way you want. But if you engage us and more than 90% of our clients or of the people who are referred to us do engage us, uh, we'll prepare documents that accurately reflect your circumstances. But then we'll help you, once all the documents are signed and sealed, we'll help to ensure that your trust is fully funded. In other words, that all of your assets have been transferred by title or by beneficiary designation into your trust. Because if it's left out of the trust and it's worth more than 75 grand in the state of Arizona, 
or more than 100 grand if you include equity in real estate, it's going through probate. By law, no two ways about it, okay? Probate is required for states like that, 75 or $100,000 and more. And then most of our clients, once they have gotten this work accomplished, they feel so good about it that they turn around and they become advocates for proper planning with their family and friends, saying, hey, I don't know about you, but we just got this done. And if you haven't got it done, we've got some people that we trust and know that they do a great job. So tell a friend, right? Um, okay, so let's see here. One question, can you establish criteria that are condition-based? Sure, for example, upon graduation from college. Sure you can, yep. We can draft those special provisions uh, into a trust. Some of the things that we cannot do, or you could try, but probably would not be enforceable, are a child has to uh, believe in a certain religion, for example. You can't do that in your trust, but you could say, yeah, um, you know, earn a dollar, get a dollar, uh, have to complete school um, in order to inherit. Yeah, you sure can do that kind of condition-based um, condition planning. Okay, let's go ahead and put this one up. Uh, so everyone can see it. This is how you would contact us. Uh, we'd love to chat with you, so don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, Life Planning Inc. is located at 8283 North Hayden Road, Suite 200. That's our telephone number and my email address. So let's leave this up on the uh, on the screen for a few minutes and let people uh, make note of this if, uh, if they choose to. I uh, would welcome fielding your questions if you've held back. Uh, and maybe if there's another question in queue, we can put that up and I can chat about it for a brief moment. But if you do have questions that you'd like to be more private about, feel free to reach out, shoot me an email or give me a call and we'll discuss it. And uh, the legal concierge business uh, could very well be a great option for you uh, in talking through your legal concern, uh, understanding what your options might be, and then if it's appropriate, um, a, a referral to a competent professional uh, a lawyer who knows what they're doing in your particular area of need and can accomplish it on a fixed fee basis wherever possible uh, and done quickly and efficiently and to your total satisfaction. So uh, that's what we are all about. Um, let's see, um, what else might we chat about in just a few uh, moments that we have remaining? Uh, I'm looking off, uh, off camera here, forgive me. Um, so, yeah, let me just invite you again to like, uh, share, like, and subscribe this channel. It'll be really helpful to us as we grow um, for your help. We'd ask your help in, in getting the word out and inviting others that you care about to tune in sometime. And um, uh, we are the Legal Concierge. Uh, the premier attorney referral service in the country. So we're not limited to Arizona. Uh, I can refer lawyers in any state. So don't hesitate to, uh, if you happen to be hearing this from out of state, to talk to us about that because we can sure find the right attorney for you no matter what the state might be, okay? Um, this is funny. Usually I'm not at a loss for words, but um, um, why would I begin that now? <laughs> So I wanna thank uh, very much Toby, our producer, and Shelly, also our producer. Uh, my son, Lev, was here helping with technical setup today. I really appreciate his participation. Uh, last week, it was so much fun. After my first podcast, the initial one, three people whom I just ran into, friends of mine, people who know me, but just ran into in one setting or another, said, hey, I caught your podcast last this week. And that was really touching. I really appreciate that. It's good to know that, um, that we are touching people and I really believe that we can make a, a big difference in people's lives 
Um, you know, I know how how poor planning uh, guarantees bad results um, because I went through that process with my family, uh, and I devoted my life, my professional life, to helping as many people as possible to avoid those kinds of situations. So, if you're looking for answers to your questions, you're not alone. Believe me, and I hope you'll feel comfortable to just reach out and and uh, contact me, and we'll have a conversation. Okay, great. So I'm going to call it that. Thank you so much for joining the second edition of the Legal Concierge Podcast. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining the Legal Concierge Podcast hosted by Warner Lewis. Please subscribe and leave a comment or question regarding your own legal situation or ideas for future shows. Share this podcast with your family and friends so they can find answers regarding legal situations and solutions, too. Check the show notes for links and resources, and please come back again next week.